Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon. Welcome to another show of Family Business Radio. I am your host, Anthony Chen. We have two great guests today. One with Neely Shah with Law Office of Neely Shah and Barry Brimer with Be Original. They're both going to be here to share kind of their origin stories and what it looks like behind the scenes in the way they work and help their clients. So first up, Neely Shah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Great. So kind of share with us your, your, your journey as to how you became an attorney and even going down specializing in uh, state law. So... Um... Before going to law school, I was in commercial lending, um, worked with a lot of numbers um, and worked with a lot of business owners. Uh, and, and that's kind of my thing. I like numbers. Um, so I wasn't really actually sure I was going to go to law school. I was debating between an MBA program or a law school. And that was really around the time of Sarbanes-Oxley, all the mortgage foreclosures and all that stuff. So um, you know, there were a lot of legal implications because I reviewed a lot of K-1s and um, uh, kind of uh, public financial statements for companies. So um, I decided, you know, was going to go the law school route, came out. Um, and because I like numbers, I knew I wasn't going to do any litigation or any kind of public injury. I was going to, you know, I wanted to be a tax attorney. Um, so I went to get my LLM in taxation and um, just absolutely loved my professor uh, who taught trust in the state's law. Um, and, you know, it, it actually really works well for me because it's a really good blend of tax and numbers as well as people. So you loved uh, your the state law professor and that kind of uh, helped you go down a path, kind of merging your love of numbers and helping people. Now, you mentioned a little bit about the business succession planning, uh, just just a tad. Now, when we talk about estate planning, what, what, kind of share with us, what is the first things that people kind of come to mind? What is the myths behind it? And, and what are some of the myths that you try to uh, demystify for those who are just kind of stepping in for the first time planning with you? Right. Um, y- you know, what I usually see is um, people don't know where to start. You know, I think it's this field that seems so mysterious and so kind of far off, right? Like, yes, I will get to it. It's kind of what I always hear. Um, It's always a priority, but never quite up in the list of the priorities, right? Like, it's one of those things, I know I need to do it. And yes, I'll get around to it one day um, of, of those items. Um, so, you know, uh, one of the things, and, and there's, there seems to be a lot of information on Google. And as it is, when there's a lot of information on Google, there's tends to be misinformation. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of times, uh, people start out, you know, young kids, young families, um, they start thinking about that planning process, right? Like, Hey, I've got young kids. I need to have guardians for them. Um, you know, and that's, that's always a good starting point, you know, for any family to, to venture into this world of estate planning. 
And that's not to say that single individuals or individuals without kids don't need it. They absolutely do. But you asked me about a starting point or, you know, when do people reach out to me? And, and it, it tends to be around the time when they are, you know, fam- families are expanding or their business is expanding. And so people always start out thinking of estate planning, not from a business succession standpoint. They're thinking about it from a personal standpoint. But what I find is that there's a really strong link um, because uh, uh, most closely held business owners, 80% of their assets are tied up in that business. So, you know, most clo- a lot of closely held business owners are not very liquid in the sense that, you know, that business is their biggest asset. And so and I, when I, when, when they come to me from a will planning for their wills or their estate perspective, that, uh, that passing down that business or what's going to happen with the, their largest asset becomes a very important point of conversation, right? So that's kind of the flow into the business succession. So in those conversations, when they're coming in, uh, do they initially just have kind of a mindset, oh, I'm just doing a will and maybe with a family guardian? Um, is their business even on their mind in consideration? Do they think that's completely separate and then you have to kind of bring that into the fold? Yes and no. Um, you know, my job in that sense is to raise questions, right? And, and we may not have all the answers right away. Because if they've got young family members, you know, and they maybe hope one day to pass this business down to their kids, well, that may not be clear just yet, right? So at that point, in in every stage of your life, there's going to be different ways to protect that business. Um, So what I usually engage, the way I engage with them is de-risking questions that I ask is meant to, to, to provide some um, risk management, right? So if they have young kids, my question to them is, okay, well, do you have, well, first of all, do you have a business partner? Okay. If so, do you guys have a buy-sell agreement? Okay. Because what happens if something happens to one of you, right? And then the second part of that is, because the first part is how is the business going to continue without one of the partners or if, if it's just one person, what happens to that business if that person all of a sudden, you know, is incapacitated or passes away? How does that business run? Okay. But that second part is that business is also providing income to your family. So that second portion is, okay, what protections do you have in place, whether it's through disability insurance, through life insurance, through other savings, through other sources of passive income? How is that, if that income stops, how is your family going to survive? What protections or de-risking mechanisms do you have in place? And that's all part of estate planning. It's not just a document. It's not just your will, right? Because I can have a perfectly drafted will, and that's not going to help you answer all these questions. And you may still be looking at a really disastrous situation if you didn't have, if you didn't think of this in a holistic way and plan for all of these different items. So uh, of the clients that are coming in, uh, as I kind of uh, alluded to, with one perspective, 
um, how often do you find them just kind of their minds blown thinking, oh, I thought I knew everything. And then coming out of here, <laughs> I know the one thing I do know is I know nothing. Uh, you know, I, yes. Um, I, I think deep down they know though, right? It's uh, business owners are very savvy individuals. I mean, I, I don't know that their minds are absolutely blown. I think they just leave with oh man, there's more I need to think about than I was prepared for. Um, because deep down, they know that these are all the things they need to think about. These are all the things that they need to plan for. Um, and, and rightly or wrongly, I think as human beings, we all think we have more time. So, um, you know, I think it's it's more so, and honestly, um, with this COVID-19 pandemic, it, it's actually helped explain to people that things can happen in a blink of a moment and things can change. And so, you know, let's plan sooner rather than later. And you can always change your plan, right? Because the other misconception that I see a lot is people will say, well, I have a will, I'm done. Or like, I've got a trust and I did it like 15 years ago. I put it in a drawer. I'm good. And that is so not the case. This is a very dynamic process, just like your, you know, family structure. You know, your family changes. People get married. People have kids. People pass away. Families change. Your businesses change. Businesses grow. They have ups and downs. Um, your net worth changes. And with all of that, your estate plan should evolve because those are all the things that impact the estate plan. So it, it, it is not meant to be done once, put in a drawer, and only to be looked at when somebody passes away or there's an event. You know, because you'll find that that's what you did. You'll find that that, that plan maybe doesn't work for your situation now, and, and now you're, you're looking at something that you didn't expect or, or it causes more frustration for your family that's left behind. I'm certainly uh, kind of piggybacking uh, off your perspective that this is not a once and done document. Cause I imagine uh, in our we run into a lot of these situations uh, and then sometimes uh, administration make changes. I mean, we're doing this recording as of May in 2021 there's conversations of tax law changes. I imagine your phones must be busy now because they're probably thinking, hey, that conversation uh, when I said the, I'm all good, I don't know about that. Can you, <laughs> can you, can you examine what, what's, is this plan still applicable? Yeah, no, absolutely, right? Because in the other thing, so the other thing that a lot of people don't know of or realize is, so everybody knows about income tax, right? You know, we earn money, there's there's income that we earn, we pay income taxes on it. In addition to that, there's a set of transfer taxes. Okay, there's three transfer taxes. There's estate tax, there's gift tax, and then there's generation skipping transfer tax. So uh, you have to look at all four of these different taxes, you know, together and see how, how it impacts your specific situation. Right. So one of the big tax law changes that's being talked about right now deals with capital gains. Right. And and specifically just the rate raising the capital gains tax rate for people who make a million dollars or above. Yes, that's one thing. And a lot of people think, well, I don't make a million dollars. I'm good. 
Well, the other tax law change that is very related to my specific area, state planning, is this possibility of getting rid of what's called step up in basis. So let me give you an example. Um, if I buy, I bought my home five years ago, I bought it for $100,000. You know, today, say, and I'm completely making up these numbers, um, this is not the case. Uh, you know, say today it's worth uh, $500,000. I have a $400,000 of capital gains. If I pass away tomorrow and I have left this home to my two kids, when they inherit this home, their cost basis in the home is going to be $500,000. It's the date of death value. Okay. But say I'm living and I gifted it to them. I just, I said, you know what? I want to transfer the title to this house to, to the two of you guys. When they take that basis, it's called what, what's called a carryover basis. So if I give it to them during my lifetime, their basis, their cost basis is that $100,000. So if they try to sell it, then upon my gifting it to them, they still retain that $400,000 gain and they have to pay capital gains tax on it. But if I bequeath it to them under my estate plan and I've, I've died owning it and now they've inherited it and they try to sell it the day after, no gain. Their basis is half a million dollars. The fair market value is half a million dollars. They have zero gain to report. That's a big loophole, so to speak, in the code. And the conversation and the proposal that the Biden administration has is to get rid of this loophole so that it, and again, it's not very clear. We don't really have proposed language on exactly how this is going to work exactly, but there's two different versions of it. And one of the versions is that maybe a death is a, a realization event, meaning when I die, my, when my kids inherit that, that asset, they have a capital gains tax that is due. So they inherited at that $500,000 value, but now they have to pay that $400,000 $400, capital gains. So it, it, this impacts everybody. You don't have to make a million dollars for, for this to impact you. So again, Nothing is finalized. These are just proposals. So I want to be very clear to our listeners. Um, this is not the law. This, this law has not passed. It is simply in a proposal phase. But th these are some of the things that are being discussed. And yes, it absolutely has an impact on how you had planned for things. Because say you owned Coke stock that you bought, I don't know, 50 years ago. And, you know, you were hoping to die with it. So when you passed it down to your kids, they weren't going to have capital gains. And that's still the strategy that you're using may not be a good strategy going forward, right? So, um, you know, there may be things you need to think about. But but yes, absolutely. Then you also touched a little bit on for business owners, some of their desires or aspirations is maybe even going to or donating to just like charitable causes or, or what have you. Uh, have those plans, would they be impacted as well in, as a result of these changes? Um, possibly. Again, you know, none of these laws are final. So we don't really know exactly what's going to get impacted. Um, but it, I have a feeling that we're actually going to be relying more on charitable contributions as a way to minimize 
possible income tax consequences as well as possible estate tax consequences um, to the extent, you know, the estate tax exemption gets reduced. Right now, it's $11.7 million. And then anything that's transferred to a non-spouse um, above that, that uh, $11.7 million, it is taxed at a 40% tax rate, which is the estate tax rate. Um, and then there's a parallel system for gifting. So lifetime gifts, same thing. You've got, you know, that same $11.7 million. And then anything above that is taxed at that 40% rate. So there's talks in addition to this income tax, capital gains, um, you know, changes. There's also some conversations, although maybe the Biden administration is moving away from this now. Um, we just don't know. Um, of reducing that exemption from $11.7 million to possibly $3.5 million and possibly even increasing that estate tax rate from 40% to more of a progressive rate that increases with the, the value of your gross estate uh, to up to 55%. So yes, a charitable plan, you know, has always been a mechanism to reduce your estate tax liability. So to the extent you give assets to a nonprofit, that reduces your estate tax exposure, right? For example, if I've got a $15 million estate, I don't, but just for purposes of this example, uh, I've got a $15 million estate, I've got $11.57 million of exemption, so I've got a, um, let's see, let me make sure I've got my math right. I've got about a $3.3 million of estate tax, um, you know, taxable estate after that exemption that's taxed at a 40% rate, right? If I say, if I have a formula in my estate planning documents that says up to my exemption, I want those assets to go to my, my descendants, but anything above that goes to a nonprofit, I can have a zero estate tax. Right. Anything that goes to the charity doesn't is not subject to the estate's tax. So we we use that as a planning mechanism for a lot of these business owners who, you know, who have a value of their their business that is above that exemption level. Um, so if the exemption is lowered and even for income tax planning, I think we're actually going to see more um, charitable contributions going forward. Um, especially um, maybe through some charitable remainder trusts uh, and, and other other planning mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like a major labyrinth for anyone to try to navigate all by themselves and all these uh, available options. Uh, how best can someone find you and, and, and say, Nelly, help me out here. This is okay. <laughs> well, half of the things you say kind of goes in one year and the other is trying to decipher what's going on. I just know that it's not, I'm not going to be able to go for an MBA or law degree of my <laughs> own. How can they find you? Uh, so um, they can find me, um, you know, just give me a call. Uh, they can reach me at 404-988-4922. Um, or they can send me an email. My email address is nshaw, and that's spelled N for Neely, N-S-H-A-H, at neelyshawlaw.com. And that's spelled N-E-E-L-I-S-H-A-H-L-A-W.com. Right. Well, thank you, Neely.
appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Our next guest, we have Barry Breimer with Be Original. Thank you for coming on the show, Barry. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So kind of share with us your background as to how you got into uh, your field. Uh, Let's see here. I was five years old, first day of kindergarten, and I got that pack of color crayons. You know the kind. They're only about this big. Mm -hmm. You know, there's only about 12 or 16 of them. I opened it up and smelled them, and I knew at that point that's all I wanted to do. Um, so I worked towards that, uh, all through school. Uh, I, no matter what it was, I took art classes. I did independent studies in art classes and there was other people that would do fine arts, which I did and can do, but I truly focused on commercial arts because I knew that commercial art could make a living. Uh, and that's whatever the way was, it was going to be through commercial arts. And of course I get out of, uh, high school. Uh, Well, I actually did some graphic design while I was in high school. I won some awards for different books that I did for the school district and different things like that. But then, um, I moved into doing graphics and learning a lot. My, my uncle owned a sign company. And so back then everything was hand painted or, you know, everything was done by hand. It, there was no, no computers involved in the, uh, what was it? The 78, 76, 78, something like that. So I worked in the sign industry for a while. Uh, I did murals. I did, uh, hand carvings. Uh, I did sandblasted silt screen, neon, anything that you could do with your hands, I did. And then one of my businesses, which was a sign business at the time, kind of, um, we got, I had a partner that came in and he was like, I want to do what you're doing by hand. And so he bought these things called computers. And I looked at it and says, wait a minute, that's just another tool. I can use that to do the things that I really wanted to do. So on and off, I'd been doing graphic designs outside of the sign industry. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to move directly into doing, uh, I'm going to leave the signs behind. And this was in 84 and start doing graphic design. And so doing graphic design, it's an entirely different world because when I started, things were still being done by hand. There was things called uh, typesetters, lithographers, photographers, uh, paste up people. Uh, There was just so many different individual things that were done by hand. So the computer to me was like, oh, wait a minute. That's a great tool. Now I can do my own typesetting. Now I can do my own photography or scanning and, and no longer having to do lithography and all these other things. So since 84, I've been doing mostly design. Well, it started out design print design because that's what was available was print design. Uh, and then in the early nineties, I teamed up with uh, another designer that was my mentor. Uh, he did a lot of stuff in Chicago and in Atlanta, really, really high-end design stuff. Back then, you get a four-color brochure done, and you charge a client $40,000 for it. 
today you can get it done for five grand <laughs> at, at the, you know, uh, full color, the, really nice. But back then when it was done by hand, it took a lot more processing and everything else. So we had a, a place down on uh, Century Center um, on the 13th floor there. And he had four or five employees and it's like, oh, you've got employees. That's, that must be nice. And he says, but not so much. I don't get to do what I wanted to do anymore. I'm always out selling and I'm directing these people what to do. So he's like, you know, it it wasn't as nice. So then I tried to um, cut my uh, overhead down there uh, because real estate's expensive in a high rise. And I tried moving into the house here. Um, my wife and I didn't know how to work together because, you know, I'm doing things and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I need to do so and so. And how do I put these things together? And that's a lot of what, a de- as a designer or a graphic person, that's what you do. You think about what you do, then you go out and you try and get it done. So she's looking at me thinking, you're not working. How are we paying the bills? <laughs> and then, I see her and she's like, uh, you know, busy with other stuff. And I'm like, but I needed shirts done, you know? And so we didn't work out so well the first time. Uh, so I moved back out for about a year and then we gave it another shot. And since then, uh, we've worked together really well, which has worked out well. Um, the mid nineties, I started doing, um, the web was a big thing. So it's like, Oh, I can, let's see here. I can program websites. So I started doing that to add to the things that I did. And at the photographer that I was, again, that's what you had to do. You had to sub out all these individual processes to other people. So I was the art director. I get the photographer, get the type setter and all these things. And then my photographer was in his mid fifties, which he said was old at the time, but I'm looking back at 55 in the rear view thinking that's not so old after all. (laughs) So he's like, I'm going to retire. This digital thing is coming and I'm not going to learn all that that goes with it. He had already had a triple bypass because he worked in the ad agencies and that was real high pressure stuff. uh, Back in the day, it it still is now I'm sure. Um, But it, it, the, it was just more condensed. And he was like, I'm not going to learn all the digital stuff. So I started picking up some of what he did, plus adding what I'd learned. Cause I used to develop film in high school and do that kind of stuff and started adding to it. So I started doing most of my photography. And then in the late nineties, uh, video came about. And so I was like, Hey, I could do video too, but there weren't really good tools. But then Um, I got invited to, um, look over to test some software that Apple had at the time. And I loved it. So I started doing that along with my son at the time, he started into doing programming. So he handled all the development of websites and he started doing 3d. He's also, um, creator, talented illustrator, that kind of stuff. Um, and then in the mid nineties, things kept growing and growing. And basically we just kind of moved from one to the other. And so we're doing a lot in the like 
2015, we started using Zoom, setting it up for clients. Um, and everybody thinks, oh, Zoom's this new thing. We've been using it for seven years now for a lot of different things. It has changed a lot, but we've been using it a, a good bit for the creative and, and all the different things that we're doing. So um, you were way ahead of the crowd. Well, we always like to jump in and, and test out stuff um, and, and see if that could help us be more creative, you know, new tools. And, and what's funny is, you know, I, I love tools and it's appropriate that I'm standing here in a tool shed um, talking to you because my internet's out, but tools are, are great because what they do is they give you the ability to do things that normally you couldn't have done. And so, yeah, we, we love that part. My son also, it's a two edged sword because Yes, it gives you the ability to do the things you want to do, but you also have to stay up to snuff on it. You have to constantly, that's probably an old saying, isn't it? John would say so, uh, staying up to snuff. Uh, anyway, it, it, um, it, it gives you the ability to do a lot of things, but then the tools change at least every five years. They're a whole different set of tools. So like Zoom right now, it's a whole different thing than it used to be. Um, as far as the software, the interface, it's much better. And so those are the kind of things that, you know, we just love the, the different tools, the things that it takes to, to be creative because our clients want us to get things done. And the way you get things done quicker than the competition is not to call up somebody somewhere else and have them do it. It's to sit down at your desk and say, huh, I can draw that out. Oh, I can create that. Oh, we can put a 3D here. We can do that. So we like to be hands-on in all of our creative. So looking kind of back, it sounds like you've gone through the massive change looking at the creative industry and advertising and analog of, I imagine, being in a dark room in photography or splicing film. Now you've got click of a button and you can put in all kinds of filters. So other than the obvious of tech and tools changing, have you noticed any changes on the advertising and design field itself? It, it has become more competitive because now people think that they can buy a computer and that they can do the design, which they can. Uh, there are tools that do that. Um, but really that's where being creative and having the mindset of how to combine things and how to make things look like what the client wants because sometimes a client comes to you and they don't know exactly what they want here. I, our product is X, Y, and it's very expensive and we have to charge for that because it's expensive. So how do you sell somebody? How do you create a brand or a look or an ad advertising for that company that says we're expensive, but we're worth it. There's a lot of things graphically you can do. Um, darker backgrounds, uh, keep the text smaller, be spend more time on writing the copy for the ad. That's something that, you know, not a lot of designers do. We do it. Uh, but if you want us to spell check it, we're going to hire that out. I've eaten my weight in uh, so many jobs by misspelling. So I, I tell clients right off the bat, if you want to spell check, either you do it or we hire it. I do not spell check. I don't see letters. I see the design of the letters. Uh, 
But anyway, back to the copy. The copy has to be very succinct. You you only have so much area to get their attention and to communicate what it is that they want. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got somebody that has a real inexpensive thing, but they want a certain look, a lifestyle look. And so it's a matter of, okay, you need to understand the difference in colors and how colors affect people. Um, the, the shape and the form affect the way people react to your brand. So we take all of that and, and help our clients to see what, what works for them on their budget. One of our client, uh, well, it was a, not a client. It was a prospective client came to us and said, okay, this was back in the nineties says, uh, uh, you are going up against another ad agency. Um, and so show me three ads designed around this product for $3,000. It's like, okay, we can do that. So I mocked up three ads, showed it to him. He had another ad agency show him three ads. He says, okay, so these are $3,000 to the other company. He says, well, that one's 4,800 and that one's 6,200. And so he came back to us and says, how much are your ads? I says, you ask for 3,000, they're 3,000. Whatever you ask for, that's what I'm giving you. And so we got the project, the job, and we had them for 20 years as a client until they got bought out. So usually that's how we lose a job. Uh, a client is they get bought up by a, a bigger company and their marketing goes to another state or something like that. But, you know, giving the client what they want, I think is never the wrong thing to do. You, you listen and give them what they want. Well, speaking of, as you're kind of growing your business and other businesses eventually and getting bought out, um, do you feel that, you'd be happier having even a, a larger agency because in the beginning you were talking about uh, your experience and with another partner where they were no longer doing the things they loved doing. They became management. And, and you know, that that's funny because that, that is something that really, it's taken a long time for me to figure that one out. Um, but I've seen like the photographer that decided he just couldn't handle it moving on into, you know, more, bigger, better. And that designer, he eventually uh, moved on and started doing just the work himself. So if maybe if I was less creative, as far as wanting to do the hands-on, I would, I would want to do more of business building, but really it, I, I like the piece of being able to, to, as you can see here, walk in my backyard and think about things, watch the hawks fly by, watch, you know, and think about the work that I'm doing and how to do it better. And so to me, that's a certain amount of satisfaction as opposed to growing a bigger company. You know, you get your bills paid that you've got to do that. You've got to have a certain amount of business. Um, and, and like, uh, Neely said, it's funny because we, we get a new client and almost every time we get a new client, because we're smaller two person, uh, company, the new client says, yeah, what if you get hit by a bus? What happens to all my assets? What happens to all my digital files? 
I says, well, we've thought about that because we've been asked so many times over the years. You know, we have servers that are backed up. You'll have access to your files and that kind of stuff because, you know, companies want to know that. They want to know they're covered because when you start doing the marketing for a company, usually you're doing it for, you know, four to 20 years. We, we've been working with one local uh, mom and pop company. They started out out of their garage and uh, now they've got 50 employees. So, you know, they want to know that they have access to their files uh, if something happens to me. Because <laughs> like Neely said, uh, you hope you're going to be around, but you can't count on it. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like not only have you done your own kind of succession plan for your client's sake, uh, then that kind of goes to the question of, it sounds like it's a very much lifestyle business where you have that focus of that quality of life for yourself. Cause sometimes kind of the stereotype for businesses, you want to continue growing bigger and better, but it sounds like you've kind of figured out as you, you admit, it took some time to have that balance between your own quality of life and sanity and doing the things that you love. Insanity. That's it. That's it. Cause I, one of my sons, I've got two sons, one thirty-five and one, 39 and the 39 year old son, you know, when you hear son, you think, Oh, the, the little kid that draws, uh, no, he's grown man. <laughs> Both of them are grown men. So the one that works with me, he understands cause he's, he does similar to what I do. The, my other son, 35, he own, he's a licensed contractor. He has, I don't know how many employees and just, he does, um, remediation and he, he loves what he does, but he likes growing his business. And, and that's fine. Uh, and, you know, he questions me like, you know, hey, wow, dad, shouldn't you want to do more with your business? And that I'm like, no, I, I figured that I, I have figured that one out. So, you know, it, it, it's nice to, to not have to second guess yourself after, you know, certain a certain amount of time. Right. Well, how best can someone who would like kind of your creativity working with you and your son and also appreciate that balance of quality of life and running a business. And they know that when they're coming to a marketing or graphics design agency, they're not, their work is not getting put through a mill, but rather someone who actually takes the time in the same philosophy towards it. How can they best find you, Barry? The easiest way is because we've been on the internet for so long. Um, is to type in B original, B E O R I G I N A L, B original. And that's a hyphen because I was Brimer Enterprises before and we do original artwork. So it's B E original. It wasn't, you know, some, anyway, uh, they can type that in and we're one of the first ones to come up, but go to our website. Uh, you can give us a call. We've had the same number since 1980, 770. 813-9933. As a matter of fact, they changed the zip code, uh, the area code on us back in the day because it used to be 404 around here. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Barry. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. Well, you've both all heard it here. Uh, so kind of the theme uh, from today's answers and from our lovely guests is I picked up communication, whether it be through numbers and legal work and text or graphics and 
not as much on the words <laughs> and text. So the questions uh, for our two guests is, as you're working with clients, as people are kind of being exposed for the first time in your field, what is the one thing that you would like for them to have known a little bit more before coming to you? That's the first question. What was the one thing you would like for them to have known a little bit more before coming to you? And then as a follow-up question to that is, after their first engagement with you, their first conversation, what would you like them to be able to realize or walk away with? So those are the two questions. So as I give our guests some time to think, this show is sponsored by yours and truly, Anthony Chen with Lighthouse Financial Network. Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., RAA, member FINRA SIPC. RAA is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of RAA. Our main office address is at 575 Broad Hollow Road, out in Melville, New York, 11747. You can reach me at 631 465 90 extension 5075 or at best with my email which is just my full name anthony chen c h e n at lfn llc.com now to kind of bring out two lovely guests back in for the two questions what would you have liked for your people coming into you working with you for the first time exposed to whether it be legal or creativity world what would you have liked for them to know a little bit more and what would you like for them to walk away with? Sure. Well, um, I guess I'll go first. Um, so one thing that I would like for them to you know, know a little more of um, before they, they come to me uh, is really just be a little more introspective. So here, here, because I can help you with the legal side of things, but so much of what I do is you know, you need to name executors, you need to name trustees, you, you, you need to name guardians for your children. Um, there are positions that are part of the estate planning process that you need to appoint people to, which means you need to have thought about some of these things as far as who the people are that you want to benefit, how do you benefit, want to benefit them, you know, what your goals are. You know, who do you trust in your life to appoint to some of these fiduciary positions? So just, you know, giving that some thought before you start this process is very helpful. And if you get a little more organized, it will feel less overwhelming. Um, and to answer your second question, as far as, you know, once they've met with me, what do I want them to walk away with? Is and this is something that you know I, I feel very strongly about is it is it's kind of two things but they, they intersect is that this is a collaborative process. So I don't work in isolation. I like to work with financial advisors. I like to work with their CPAs. Um, if they've got a business consultant as a business owner that they're working with, you know, that that collaboration really results in the best service that I can provide to that business owner. Um, and just a point that I 
have already made during the first part of the, um, the session is that this is a dynamic process. So it's not a one and done thing. And it, that's something I think that's very important that I would like for them to walk away with. Thank, Thank you. you. Right, Barry. Okay. First, let me say that's a really good question. The fact that Neely went first really helped me because it's like, okay, what am I going to, but I uh, really good two sets of questions. Um, Neely said, basically she wants them to consider or think about where they want to be, how they're going to get there before they talk to her. That way it's quicker and easier for her to jump in and help them. We're the same way because just like with Neely, it's a relationship. Usually the first meeting that we have with somebody is, Oh, do we kind of work together because we're going to be together on and off for, you know, 20 years or more. And so establishing a relationship, but if they've looked into other people that helps us, if they've looked into, if they're starting out, uh, if they're startup, they don't know a lot, look around, see what things that they need to accomplish. Cause we like to go into a first meeting and say, what do you want to accomplish? What's your end result? And then we work backwards to try and get them to that end result. And so that especially, again, like Neely said, is them having some sort of foundation as to what you do and what they want out of what you're doing. And then the other part is I want them to walk away with a feeling of, yeah, th this, this company is going to do whatever they can to help us achieve our goals. Because that's really all we're about. We're, we're going to find a way to creatively achieve your goals. Uh, and there's more than one way to skin a cat. That's another one of those old sayings. <laughs> but to be fair, skinning a cat is not a real cat. It's, it's considered a catfish, not real cat. So just FYI. Um, but for them to walk away and think, you know, these guys can do what I want. And then for them to just be inquisitive about what else we do. And that's about it. So I really appreciate the that. That was like, oh, no, please, Neely, go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Barry. Thank you for your insights. And thank you for your insights, Neely. Well, you've all heard it here. Thank you for listening to another episode of Family Business Radio. I'm your host, Anthony Chan.